0: Thanks, guys. As Paddy says, there's a lot going on in this passage, so do make sure you can see uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, in front of you in your Bibles. We're going to uh, spend the next bit of time working through it. Um, and as uh, Paddy and, and Dave have already mentioned a number of times this evening, how wonderful it was uh, this morning if you were here uh, to see, to witness those uh, eight baptisms, to hear uh, a bit about how different people from uh, different walks of life, different uh, backgrounds, different upbringings uh, have come to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to follow him uh, as their Lord and Saviour. Uh, and baptisms, they're, they're a wonderful uh, a moment, a wonderful time in the life of any church. Uh, but as, as great as a day like today is, as great as this morning was, uh, we all know that that was just the beginning. or well, It is just the beginning, don't we? If you're here this evening and you've been a Christian for some time, you know that, that following Jesus is much more of a marathon than it is a sprint. You know that it is not always easy. It's not that those, those eight this morning, sorry to disappoint you, it's not that, that you get baptised and then you kind of just coast your way to heaven. That isn't how it goes. The reality is that much of the Christian life actually is quite hard work. Of course there's joy, of course, there is uh, deep satisfaction and fulfillment, there is peace and purpose. Uh, but there is also trial. There's also suffering, opposition, persecution, temptation. Uh, those things are realities for the Christian. Uh, the Christian life can be is hard work. Uh, Paul, in our passage this evening, calls it labor in verse 58. And so the question we might find ourselves asking at some point in life is, is it really worth it? Paddy's already said, you might wonder as you have 50 teenagers in your lounge, is it really worth it? Is the Christian life really worth the effort? Is it worth the, the hard work, the labour? Whether you've been a, a Christian for some time, whether you've just been baptised today or this is your first time setting foot in a church building, that is the question I want us to think about this evening. Is it really worth it? And As we're going to see, and you might have already picked up from the passage that's just been read, the Apostle Paul, the man writing this bit of the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, gives a resounding yes. Yes, it is absolutely worth it. And the reason he can say that so confidently it's because of the big thing we celebrate today. Paul says the Christian life is worth it because of the resurrection. In the first half of this fairly long chapter, chapter 15, Paul's big point was that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That is an undeniable fact. He was crucified, he was dead, he was buried in a tomb. But then three days later, he got up and he walked out. Jesus defeated death. And Paul says that changes everything. Because Jesus was raised to new life, Christians, all who put their faith in him, will also be raised to new life. The truth that we celebrate on Easter, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, means that this life is not all that there is. It means there is so much more to come. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. That was the big point in the first half of the chapter. And so in the second half, Paul wants us to see that that we should live our lives in the light of that resurrection. In other words, he wants to show us the implications of the resurrection, the implications of Easter Sunday. And that's what we're going to focus on this evening. And the first thing we're going to see Paul say is that the resurrection means we will have better bodies. You'll have a better body, says Paul. Having, having spoken about the certainty of Christ's resurrection, Paul uh, he anticipates a question from the people that he's writing this letter to. It's there in verse 35. Look there again. He says, but some will ask, how then are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? If you know anything of the, the Corinthian letter, you'll know that this is a bit of a kind of, it's a bit of a mocking, sarcastic question from the Corinthians. All right then, Paul, uh, tell us about this resurrection that you speak of. What's it going to be like? How's it going to work? How can these bodies that, that we have now possibly live forever? For the Corinthians, the idea of a bodily resurrection was a bit ridiculous. Foolish. But in verse 36, Paul says he's not the one being a fool. Verse 36, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Paul says, come on, Corinthians, you went to school. Remember your biology lessons. Remember how seeds and plants work? You don't don't get a massive oak tree and plant that in the ground, do you? No, you you plant a tiny seed. And although that seed looks small, although it it seems insignificant and unimpressive, as it's sown into the ground, a transformation happens. God takes that tiny seed and he turns it into a mighty oak tree. And Paul's point is that the same is true for our bodies. Verse 42, he says, as it will be in the resurrection, he says our weak and perishable bodies will be sown into the ground like a seed when we die. But but the creator, God, who, who can turn acorns into oak trees will transform our weak body into something glorious. Oh, think about it like this, he says in verse 39. Look at people. Look at birds and fish and stars and planets. Look at all the things that God has made. And notice that they are different. They're different because God has deliberately made them different. God's created fish for swimming. He's created birds for flying. And he he has put each in its right place. He, He knows what they need and where they need to go. And so verse, 40 says, verse 42, he says, God knows that in order for people to live forever, they're going to need a new body. They're going to need an imperishable body. And so that is what God will give them. And when we stop and think about it, we, we get this, don't we? We understand w- what Paul is getting at. Just think about it for a minute. We, we go to huge lengths, don't we, to try and, delay the perishing of our bodies. We spend millions and millions of pounds on cosmetics, we exercise and diet, all in an effort to kind of try and keep fit and healthy and young. But after all of that, we know that, deep down, we know that our our bodies, these bodies that we have, they are perishable. You know that no matter how many superfoods you eat or how well-balanced your life is, Your body, this body, will die. It's perishable. We know our bodies are perishable, and verse 43, we know they are dishonorable. Do you see that? They're dishonorable, says Paul. Sometimes our bodies are things that we are ashamed of. We try to cover them up, to to hide them from others. But more than that, sometimes we, we use our bodies for shameful or dishonorable things. Think about the things you've done with your physical body that you are ashamed of. The things you've looked at with your eyes. The things you've said with your tongue. Our bodies are dishonorable, says Paul. And then he says, verse 43, they are weak. We get so frustrated, don't we, when our bodies are unable to do the things we want them to do. We might kind of pretend or like to pretend that we can be everywhere all at once as we ram our diaries full or, or pretend that we can just keep going and going without needing to stop and to rest, just keep doing things and that nothing is beyond us. We try those things, but again, deep down, we know that's not true really. We know that our bodies are weak and that that only increases as we get older. And so you see, Paul says, look, your, your body now is it, just a seed, it's nothing impressive, it's perishable, it, it's dishonourable, it's weak. That's your body now, but, but that's not the new body. Verse 44, it's not the, the spiritual body. The new body will be unlike anything you can ever imagine. There'll be nothing perishable about, perishable about this new body. It won't, it won't run out or decay because it's going to be raised imperishable. There'll be nothing to be ashamed of about this body because it'll be raised in glory. There'll be nothing frustrating about this body because it'll be raised in power, verse 43. God will give his people a better body, the body they need, says Paul. A body fit for heaven, a body fit for eternity. And he says he can do that. He can can give this better body that we need because there is a better Adam. That's the second point. You can have a better body because of the better Adam. The last contrast Paul makes is there in verse 44, and it's between the natural and the spiritual. And this, Paul says, is the difference between the first man, Adam, and the new man, Christ. Look at the second half of verse 44. He says, if there is a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. So it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. Right back at the very start of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we, we read about how God formed the first man, Adam, from the dust. He breathed life into him and he became a living human being. But then, not long after, in Genesis 3, Adam's sin. His rejection of the God who made him meant that he was shut out of the Garden of Eden. He was prevented from eating from the tree of life. And so he was destined to return to the dust that he was made from. Destined to die. And the same has been true ever since. That We are all in Adam, says Paul. All sinful and so all will die which means that the big thing that that everybody needs, that all humanity needs more than a new vaccine, more than a new diet, more than a new exercise regime, is a new Adam, a better Adam. And Paul is saying here that Jesus Christ is that man. He is the, the eternal son of God who took on human flesh, took on a weak and perishable body. Jesus became a man. And then having taken on our weakness and having taken on our dishonor and our shame, Jesus was crushed. He was sown into the ground in death, buried for humanity's failure, buried for our sin. Jesus was dead and buried. But then as we celebrate today, he didn't stay there, did he? Jesus didn't stay buried. God raised him to new life, and now now he's no longer weak, no longer a man of the earth. Verse 47, he's the man of heaven. Christ is the the heavenly man, the, the glorious, powerful, imperishable heavenly man. And then here comes the key for us, verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. In other words, we're all born in Adam. We are of the earth, weak, perishable. But, verse 48, just as we've been born in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. When we trust in Christ, this this glorious transfer happens. We go from being in Adam to being in Christ. And so Paul says at the resurrection will we'll no longer bear the image of the earthly man, Adam. Instead, God will change us. He'll, he'll transform us so that we now bear the image of the heavenly man, the image of the glorious risen Christ. And so it is only in Jesus, only in him that we can become imperishable. It's only in Christ that we can beat death. That's Paul's point in verse 50. Just, just look there. Verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Do you see? Christ, the better Adam, has defeated death for us. And so now we can be raised with him imperishable. Verse 53, we can be clothed with immortality. And so death no longer has any hold over us because it has no hold over Christ. Without without Christ, without without him in our lives, death shapes the way we live, doesn't it? Death rules us. Again, think about it for a minute. Death is is the big reason in the end that people are so obsessed with the here and now. We are British, so we don't really talk about it very much, but we all know that death is coming, don't we? Uh, we we know it's coming, and so we think, well, what I need to do is get as much out of this life as I possibly can, because when it comes, that's the end. I need to get the most amount of stuff, I need to get the the best experiences, the most success. Because well, death is just around the corner, and when it gets here, that's it. For other people, it's not material things, it's not stuff, but, but a, a legacy. People pursue legacies because they want to outlive themselves. They, they want to do something worthwhile, something meaning, meaningful in life, in order to try and go beyond death. You see, death shapes the way that we live. It rules us. But that isn't true for the Christian. Verse 54 says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In Jesus Christ, death, the thing that rules us, has been destroyed. It has been crushed. It has been swallowed up. And so it now has, it has no power over you. It's lost its sting, says Paul. Verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus paid the price of our sin. He died the death we deserve. The death that all have deserved since Adam. Jesus died our death, but then three days later, he rose to glorious new life. He destroyed death. He defeated it. And this has been Paul's big point throughout the chapter. Because he did that, because Christ rose, we too will rise. Christ's resurrection becomes our resurrection. Christ's victory becomes our victory. And so for the Christian, for for anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, death has no sting. Yes, we'll die. Yes, these perishable, weak, failing bodies will be sown into the ground in death. But the sting of death has been removed. Because after that death, we will be raised to new, glorious, imperishable life with Christ. And so Paul says, knowing that, knowing that should completely change the way that you live life today. Which is the last thing that we've got to see this evening. Paul says, you're going to have a a better body because there is a better Adam. And that means that you can now live wholeheartedly for Christ. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Think back to that question that I began with. Why bother with the Christian life? Why bother laboring for the Lord when there is so much else you could be doing with your time? Well, without the resurrection, without Easter Sunday, the answer would be don't bother. It isn't worth it. In fact, verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14, uh, back earlier in the chapter says, uh, to those eight people that were baptized this morning, without the resurrection, you are wasting your time. You are to be pitied. But Paul says Christ was raised. Christ was raised. And, and that means you don't live once. You live twice. The best is yet to come. And so all the things that you feel like you might be missing out on in this life, they are nothing, absolutely nothing compared to what is to come. Which means it is okay to miss out on the work promotion. It's okay not to have the fancy car or the exotic collates. It is okay, because this life is not all there is. You don't have to cram it all in now. You're not missing out, says Paul, because the best is yet to come. But actually, it's way more than that, isn't it? This is much more than just not missing out on a few things. Paul's big point is not, just uh, that we don't worry about what goes on in life now because, you know, the next one's going to be great. That isn't the point he's making. Now his point is that knowing that the best is yet to come should cause us to labour, verse 58. It should cause us us to to work with all that we have in this life for the things that really matter. You see, sometimes Christians, they're they're accused of being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good, aren't they? Ever heard that? too focused on some far-fetched idea of an afterlife that we're completely oblivious to the things going on in the here and now. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul says here. You see, here in the Bible, living for just this life, for just the here and now, that, says Paul, is the vain life. That is the wasted life, the selfish life. But he says, laboring for Christ, working for him, that's not living in vain. That's not wasting your time or or forgetting the needs of those around you. No, laboring, working for the Lord, means you're working for the things that truly last. You're giving your life to something that is eternal. And so that is the only life that is not lived in vain. Living your life for the one who has defeated death. Proclaiming the gospel, telling other people about this death-defeating saviour, that's what Paul is talking about when he says the work of the Lord, is the way that we join in God's great work of destroying death. Verse 53, again, God will, will transform people from being perishable to imperishable, from being mortal to immortal, and he'll do it as they hear and respond to the gospel. And so it's no wonder that that right back at the start of his letter, Paul says, this is what my life is about. I'm all in on this. He's made himself a slave to the gospel, giving up all rights, giving up all freedoms for the sake of making this news known that Christ died and rose for the forgiveness of sins, to bring you life eternal. Paul wants to make that news known to as many people as possible. And now finally, as he comes to the end of his letter in chapter 15, he says, none of that's wasted, none of it's in vain, because it's through the gospel that death is destroyed. It's through the gospel that people can have immortal, eternal life with Christ. How can that possibly be vain? And so as we close, a question to ask ourselves this evening is this. On this Easter Sunday, the question is, what are you giving your life to? What are, you, what are you living for? What are you laboring for? There's all sorts of things, all sorts of ways we might answer that question, all sorts of things we give our time and our energy and our money and our focus too. And if we're honest, all sorts of things we do because sometimes we slip into thinking that this life is all there is. But Easter is such a wonderful time, isn't it? Because it, it, it reshapes our perspective. It refocuses us, refocuses us on these things. And so I hope it's helped you to see, as it's helped me to see once more, There really is nothing that matters more than this. Nothing matters more than defeating death through making Christ known to others. In a thousand years' time, in 10,000 years' time, it's not going to matter what job you had, it won't matter what car you drove or how big your house was or what grades you got. What will matter will be sharing in Christ's glorious victory over death with millions upon millions upon millions for all eternity. Paul says, don't you want to give your life to that? Don't Don't you want to live your life for that? Give yourself wholly to the task of making Christ known, the the task of being used by God to bring people from death to life in his Son. Isn't that what life is all about? Verse 58 again, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you once more for our risen Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has utterly destroyed death. He has defeated it. And that if we put our faith in him, his victory is our victory. His life is our life. So Father, please, would you you change our minds, would you change our hearts to live in the light of Christ's resurrection? Would you help us to labor with all that we have towards making this good news known so that others may join us and we might see their faces on that day praising the name of your Son. Father, please use us in this way for your glory. And we ask it in the name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen.